Nothing, it's a card from my dad. What is it? Dear son, happy Festivus? What is Festivus? It's nothing. It's nothing. When George was growing Jerry, up, no. his father no. hated all the commercial and religious aspects of Christmas, yeah. so he made up his own holiday. Oh, and another piece of the puzzle falls into place. All right. And instead of a tree, didn't your father put up an aluminum pole? Oh, Jerry, no. stop it. Isn't that weren't there feats of strength that always ended up with you crying? I can't huh? take it anymore. I'm going to work. You happy now? <laughs> Hello and welcome to Model View Conversation, America's premier tech education podcast. I'm Brian Gates. And I'm Ben Golke. And we are coming to you live on tape on the 23rd, I think, anniversary. 23rd, 23rd yes. anniversary of the original celebration of Festivus. Yes, that's correct. So uh, the December 23rd is traditionally the day of Festivus. And if you have no idea what we're talking about, hopefully that intro helped you out a little bit. Uh, Festivus is basically a made-up holiday that was celebrated on the TV show Seinfeld and has kind of since almost really attracted a cult following where people actually celebrate it in real life, which I think is pretty funny. Um, so we thought because of the day of release and because this is the end of the year and we're, we're actually on our 30th episode, so congratulations to us Yay, for us. getting through 30 episodes. This is the one you're listening to now. Um, we thought we'd have a more lighthearted uh, episode today. Um, and just kind of talk about some things that have been on our mind and uh, and that tie into some... the festivist theme. Yes. So uh, for those of you who don't know, the kind of the two largest events that occur uh, during Festivus are, <laughs> among other things, are the airing of grievances and the feats of strength. So we're going to start with the airing of grievances. And basically, uh, the joke here is that it's uh, you would get in front of your family and then tell tell them about all the things that you don't like about them or things that that you that they do that annoy you. Um, so we're we're not going to be quite so pointed and personal. Instead, what we're going to do is we're going to just uh, we have some gripes and some different things that we wanted to kind of get off our chest about the tech world um, and in, in general. So I think we'll start with one of yours, Brian. Right? Sure. Uh, the first one that I thought of, that probably the the first grievance that I had with the tech world really was bad error messages. When you're typing away and you put in a, a command or you you run your website and you you open the browser and you see either nothing, which is probably the worst error message, or something completely inscrutable that m I guess meant something to somebody at one time, but now, especially as a new person, you look at it and it's just, all you know is that things have gone wrong. Right. Yeah. So I'm sure, especially for our, our junior uh, listeners out there, error messages probably are the bane of your existence because they are almost always not that helpful. They are pointing you at things that maybe don't even, that aren't even broken, or uh, they are giving you this kind of cryptic message that doesn't really help you in the moment it's an odd combination of meaningless and terrifying if you don't know. yes yes so uh as far as like maybe uh some some suggestions that we could give you as budding developers think about those things when you're writing your own error handling in your own code and see if you can do uh you know you can do better um with your code and maybe you can kind of pass that along to the next person who comes and uses your software um Maybe they'll get an error message a little bit more, a little bit more clear. And this is something but, I think that the, the the language people and especially the framework people have gotten much much better at over time. Uh, I know the error message in Ruby on Rails are pretty good, and will will say you typed this, maybe you meant that. 
Um, React is pretty good about pointing you to the exact line where things started to go off the rails, pardon the pun, and and uh, suggest things that you could do to fix things in your code. I imagine Swift has similar mechanisms. Yeah, Swift and, and, and Xcode in, uh, in particular has um, decent error handling for lots of kind of common gotcha things that you tend to do when you're setting up a project or when you're trying to run an application in certain ways. There are just things that lots of people get wrong um, and and they generally generally does a pretty good job of, like you said, kind of telling you something's wrong and then saying, I think this will fix it. And they kind of give you a suggestion for something to go check to uh, to make that right. So it, it is definitely the case that it's gotten a lot better uh we're we're no longer at least i'm no longer in the world of like you know the java world with eclipse where it, it throws a giant stack trace and then you know with a null pointer exception and you're like all right well i don't i don't know what any of this is for i don't know <laughs> this occurred thanks uh, let's go searching through my code and try and find it um right so yeah, it's, it's gotten much better copy paste the 500 lines into a little text search box and go to your search engine of choice and say did did anybody have this problem it mentions my own directory is 500 times but Right, right. But maybe I'll out. get lucky. Yeah. Maybe if your name is like John Smith or something, you might get lucky right. with someone else who's encountered the same problem. Uh, so the next thing on the list um, is uh, one of mine. So this is computer problems. I actually just had one uh, as we were getting ready to record tonight's episode. Um, I brought my computer into my office. I plugged it in. I woke it up. Um, and I tried to, it, it didn't want to wake up and then eventually did and said that the problem has occurred and it has to reboot. So I said, okay, fine, uh, rebooted. And then I got in, but then, uh, I use a Mac. Um, and for some reason it just absolutely refuses to connect to my external monitor. Um, which is also where my microphone and lots of other things are plugged in. Uh, so I had to do some various steps to kind of mitigate the problem. I couldn't fix it, but I just sort of mitigated the problem by plugging it in differently and, uh, and hooking my stuff up in a different way. But it's that's my sort of grievance is like when the computer just sort of doesn't work for a, a non-obvious reason. I mean, it was just on in my living room charging with the cable. It, in theory, it's just sleep. It shouldn't be having any issues. And yet when I when I and I used it yesterday, but then when I went to uh, to boot it up tonight, it just sort of didn't work. And, and, and it was very not obvious why it didn't work. And, and that's uh, that's my grievance. It's bizarre and dispiriting when that happens. I just had that today. I was pair programming with a guy. We had um, both pulled the same branch of code and we were running into the same remote uh, server environment and it was fine for him and broken for me. We eventually had to call in our tech lead and he walked through the first four or five things that we had tried to solve the problem also before ending on the favorite solution of everyone who's been asked a tech question anywhere could you turn your computer off and back on? Right. Which, of course, solved it immediately. <laughs> of course. It is funny that that is the like universal, uh, both troubleshooting step and also almost always is the solution it's to most of your problems. Guaranteed solution to all of life's worries. And whether that be your computer or your 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 home router that you got from your probably terrible terrible internet company that you don't have a choice about, or uh, you know any other countless pieces of technology, whether it be a you know full blown computer or not, turning it off and on again is is almost always the right answer. And it's it's uh, it's nice that you can solve it with one step, but it's also infuriating because why yeah, why should I have to reboot? You will never know what the real solution was. Although, as I heard Ben Ornstein mention on his Art of Product 
podcast earlier this week, it goes to show you what a huge problem state management is, because that's really what's right. going on is you simply right. reset the state in some very global sense back to fresh out of the box conditions. And then then you're OK. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so the next one, uh, I think this is one of yours. Yeah, it is. Although you provided a nice lead in by committing this horrible, horrible sin twice <laughs> in your discussion of computer problems. Starting every sentence with the word so, it doesn't have to happen, but in tech, it always does. How many it times have you been does. listening to a podcast where the host will say, so, welcome to the show, so, here's my name, so, we have a guest, so, why don't you introduce yourself? And then the guest says, so, I'm glad to be here, so, here's a little bit about me, so, here's something else about me, and you just want to strangle them both. Uh, and now we're going to get a supercut of Bellevue Conversation where we, <laughs> where somebody sends us a link of, of an uh, audio clip of, of every time we, we started a uh, sentence with words. So, um, yeah, it's it's definitely a, I think, just sort of a verbal tick kind of like saying um or any of the other filler words that we all use. It's the uh of the 21st century, but no one has acknowledged yeah. it that way. Right. I, I've I've definitely tried very hard to... Um, to improve my mic technique and sort of my uh, the way that I speak, the cadence and and the filler words that I use, and I'm gonna it sounds much worse right now because I'm trying very hard not to do it, and it's <laughs> so therefore it's gonna sound worse. But um, it's it's something that you do need to if you if you care about these kinds of things and you and want you to should. not sound that way, and you should, <laughs> uh, then it's something you do need to kind of keep top of mind and, and work on changing. And I feel like it's improved for me, but there are definitely filler words and other things that I kind of tend to lean on um, that uh, definitely, you know, that they're still there and, and it's still a problem. I once, I forget what it was, but it was a a short phrase, couple of words that I noticed one of my coworkers said a lot. Mm -hmm. And it was like, to be fair or something like that, just a short little, little sentence, a little phrase that could fit pretty much anywhere. And he would often uh, say it at the beginning of, not every sentence, but he would use it frequently that eventually I, I, I kind of like caught on to this pattern. And at one point we were having a discussion about things like this. And I said, well, you know, you say this, whatever it was. Mm -hmm. And he was, and he was like, do I? And then he started to think <laughs> in his own head. He sort of like replay right. his own, his own uh, things that he said in the, in the recent past. He's like, yeah, I, th I think, I think you're right. And then, like the next day, he told me he said he spent the whole rest of the day being super self conscious about whenever he would he would hear himself say it, and he'd be like, and he would kind of pause and sort of get a little red and and realize that he might want to change that pattern. But it is funny how you can uh, not even notice that you're doing it, right? And then someone points it out to you, and then now you're self conscious about it every next time you say it. Certainly, certainly. And you know, I think that if each person has their own little set of filler words that they fall back on. That's possibly almost inevitable. And your choices are really to either really concentrate hard, as you said, on eliminating those, and then you get to sound very eloquent and, and fluent in uh, speech off the top of your head. Or you get to just have your set of stock phrases. They get associated with you in the minds of people who hear you talk a lot. And I think either of those are more or less fine. But when one word spreads like a plague through all of the speaking community, right. that's when something has to be done. And also what I've noticed and what really uh, just baffles me is that it's not just in spoken English, 
people will write down capital S, lowercase o, comma. I didn't have to have any of that. Right. And now here's a thought. So I was writing some code. He typed into Stack Overflow. No, just I was writing some code. Just start yeah, you there. Don't need that. Right. I think this is that's this is probably the best grievance of the ones we've covered so far because it is it is clear that you are quite passionate about this as a grievance. It's if I were to start a nonprofit human fund style, this is <laughs> the cause I would dedicate my waking hours to unquestionably. To eradicate the the word "so" as a, a, a sentence beginner. Nice. Uh, so why don't we move on to the next thing? That's a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the next grievance on you the list. You did it again twice, by the way. I did right twice in a row, just for you. Uh, um, is uh, the hiring process in the technical world, and this is probably true everywhere. I've never really worked uh, in in a you know in my professional career anyway. I've always been in tech. But um, what do you think the whiteboarding sure probably, would look like at McDonald's, though? I yeah, I don't know. How do you make a quarter pound with cheese? Uh, let's draw that out in separate steps and and, and enumerate them. Um, but anyway, uh, this is the hiring process, right? Is how do you go about hiring someone in the tech world? And it seems like we've sort of standardized. That's I, I, I'm feeling like I'm giving it way too much credit. We've we've sort of created this system. I think probably mostly through just bumbling through it. And we've created a system where you have to jump through all these crazy hoops and you have to prove that you can code by standing in front of a whiteboard for two hours with a bunch of people rapid firing questions at you that have nothing to do necessarily with the work you'll actually be doing as a developer for them. And that is somehow an indication that you are a good developer and that you deserve to work there. Uh, I, I find the whole process baffling um, and and seemingly across purposes from what it's supposed to be assessing people on. And yet it is the process that almost all companies who hire developers choose to follow to varying degrees of, of you know, difficulty and complexity. Um, and it just sort of grinds my gears that it's like <laughs> that that is... That is the process that it's like, this is what we've decided on? We're going to do this? Um, can we do better? And and something that I've hopefully tried to instill in the students that I have and in any case where I'm in sort of an educational setting is to try to tell people, you have to put up with this for now, but when you get to the point where you're in a position to be able to maybe make these choices and, and guide this process – Try to remember what it was like for you and try to, you know, make it better. So that's that's my small contribution to this problem um, is trying to just sort of help the next generation, I guess, understand that it doesn't have to be this way and, and, and move on from there. Yeah, my experience has been that the worse the job, the harder the interview. Yeah, and I, which, is in, which is insane, which is, right? Which is really insipid. And I'm not sure how much of that is because, in fact, that's how it is and how much of it is because, yeah. In general, in my career, the worst jobs were things that I had a long time ago, and maybe it was just a long time ago interviews were a lot worse, and so maybe they are getting better, or maybe there's some kind of a, a gatekeeper system where for the first job or something that looks like it's a first job, you know, something that's advertised as zero to two years of experience or probably two to five years of experience because nobody has zero years of experience anymore, that they have the, the whiteboarding and the people shouting questions as um, a way to weed people out. And then if you get that job or one like it, 
when you go to your next job, the assumption is, well, this person has been through that awful process, so none of us have to go through that again. Right, and 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 they've kind of proved their mettle, I guess, by yes. getting that previous job, yes. right? So now it's a it's a matter of they we don't need to do that again because they they've already been vetted by previous company X, right? Yeah, it's 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 terrible, and I really wish we could all do better as an industry. Um, and it is something that I will I will consistently advocate for and and fight for because it is. It is, if nothing else, it is keeping good people out of our industry, right? There's people that probably could could really seriously contribute to the, um, you know, making our, the, the software that we all write that much better and they're potentially not engaging because they're like, why would I put myself through that crazy gauntlet of, of awfulness? Um, I could do something else instead. And, and then on top of it, the thing that's most baffling to me is that we're not even that process is while rigorous not even that effective at at like figuring out yeah, who it, is good at the job right you could at least say if it was difficult and arduous but it produced the best of the best i i, I you know i suppose that there's an argument there but it doesn't even do that and if there's a word that bothers me more than so it has to be privilege which is something that gets thrown around a lot and i think my problem with the term is the idea that it's connected to some immutable demographic characteristics of people but i do recognize that there are ways in which life is easier for some people than others and i think that can impact the hiring process because uh, one of the things I think we've both advocated as a better means of testing people is to say there should be a take-home assignment of some kind where you invest maybe two to four to eight hours. And that's simply not realistic for a lot of people who may very well be very good developers. And I, I wish there was a way around that, and I honestly don't know what it is. Right, because what if they have kids or they have, uh, you know, a, a right. very active schedule that just doesn't allow for that kind of of time to be spent? Right, three hour bus ride to work, and then ten hours later, three hour bus ride home, and then somehow six hours, you know, calling from your API. That's not going to happen. Right, right. So yeah, it would it would be wonderful if we could figure out a way to to both assess people in a way that is effective, not overly time consuming, and fair uh, you know and i'm going to use fair with quotes around it meaning like some process that most people agree would agree upon to, to say that this is an equitable way to to judge a group of people um but it, it's it's it is a very hard problem to solve and i think it's part of the reason why we haven't solved it yet um but i wish that we that the industry as a whole that's my biggest sort of gripe is like i wish that the industry as a whole cared more about it because it just seems like from what I've seen, that they they care only as much as maybe perhaps to give it lip service, and then they and then the next time they have a hiring, uh, you know, a round of hiring, they just fall back on the exact same old you know stodgy process that we've all been doing that we all hate, and it's like, you know, let, let's 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 do better, everyone. <laughs> it's, it's kind of my takeaway on that. And speaking of doing better, let's turn our gaze to the corporate world for a moment. Uh, for a long time, uh, a long time ago, and again, more recently, to be fair, Apple was synonymous with high-quality consumer electronics, right? Right. Except for uh, about three or four years, starting like 2014, when I think everybody was in agreement that the laptops just weren't what they used to be. Yeah, they definitely have, have had some issues of, of like, 
quality assurance, of longevity, uh, certainly of repairability. Those kinds of things have all kind of not fallen by the wayside, but but certainly have not lived up to the standards that Apple, let's be fair, set for themselves. Set, yes. Um, you know, that's they, they're the ones out there saying that they're the best computers on the planet, uh, and and I think priced I think, accordingly. Yeah, <laughs> right. And I think we can all agree that that for at least a brief period there, they were definitely not. From what I've heard, the 2019, 26, or 2019 16 inch MacBook Pro, which is what replaced the previous 15 inch. Um, it's supposed to be pretty much better in all ways, including the keyboard, which is something that people have been very, very upset about with the previous model. Um, so let's we'll see. We'll see if that's if that bears it bears out with history. The one complaint I've heard about that new model is that the standard size um, webcam cover, you know, the little thing mm-hmm. that you can like slide mm-hmm. to turn that on and off is apparently thick enough and placed in a position such that uh, when you yeah when you close it you can crack things. Ah, uh, that's no good. And that's no good at all. Which is kind of surpri- I wonder if that's true about the previous model because I don't think that they changed really anything significant about the body of the obviously it's a little bit larger but but other than that I think the design of the body is pretty much the same as the design of the previous one. So I wonder if that's also a concern of the 2016 to 2018 MacBook Pros as well. Maybe people had so many other problems with those they just never got around to finding out that but, like the the camera cover is so low on the list yeah. as part of a, as far as the grievance, I'm not even going to bother. By the time the camera cover got installed, the power supply was already on fire. So, right, right, uh, that's funny. Uh, yeah, I don't know. That's it's, it's an interesting uh, interesting issue. Um, maybe somebody will come up. See, that's an opportunity. Someone should come up with a super super slim camera cover. Yes, they have a camera built in camera cover air. Camera. <laughs> It's, it's you're you're gonna love it. It's it's our thinnest camera cover ever. <laughs> but wait, there's no, there's not more. That's all there is. There's not more. That's it. That's all it does. <laughs> uh, all right, so let's move on to the next thing, um, which is uh, one of mine. So this is um, I'm just gonna read what I wrote. Uh, it's interesting products being brought up, being bought up by huge mega corporations and then being ruined. Example. So I'm still salty about this, and this is a couple years ago, but Parse, which was a back-end oh. as a service, uh, that was amazing. Um, it had it had amazing uh, JavaScript, uh, iOS, Android. It, it had SDKs for all the major platforms. Mm-hmm. It was fantastic. The technical uh, interface that we use as developers to, de- to sort of manage our back-end was also top-notch. Um, and then guess who bought it? Facebook, yes, uh, and they said when when they bought it, we were all like, "Oh no, the sky is falling. Mm-hmm. We should all leave Parse immediately." But they told us not to worry. No, no, no. Call, it's fine. We're not only are we not shutting it down. We, this was not an aqua hire. We are in fact going to invest even more money mm-hmm. into Parse, and we're going to make it great. Yes, I I guarantee it. And what did they do? They skipped did, it for Parse. Well, they did make it better. <laughs> they actually did make it better. Up to and including like the week before they shut it down, oh, boy. because uh, in I think it was in 2016. I want to say is when they shut it down. But they they re- the, the Parse team at Facebook released an update to the the interface, the admin interface, to make it better. And then like not days later, Facebook corporate put out a press release saying we're shutting the thing down. So I actually think that the Parse team didn't even know they were <laughs> shut insanity. down until they were until they read the press release oh. that it was you know, released on the internet. Oh. 
So that's just one example, but um, Screen Hero, I think another one, right? The, yes. The, everybody's favorite uh, video conference solution from again three or four years ago, bought by Slack, and now it's not around. It's not around anymore. Yeah, I think. I mean, you could maybe even include like things like Instagram in this, which is again bought by Facebook, was a very powerful and popular independent social network that has been slowly for a while was completely ignored mm -hmm. right and it's like we're gonna let it do its thing mm -hmm. we're not gonna involve ourselves at all and then more recently now i believe they even have in their settings it says like you know instagram by facebook they start to include the branding they start to say things like you know we're gonna more heavily integrate facebook features in there we're just gonna sort of infect your 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 little uh area of the internet with our decisions um oculus bought by facebook vr a vr company i sense a theme um, yeah i really don't like facebook so that's, <laughs> i'm gonna i'm just gonna harp on them for a while um but uh that's an example where uh the oculus bought by facebook totally independent and as as of my most recent update on that um they are now saying that if you want to do any sort of social features inside the oculus system you have to log in with your facebook account in order to make that work so Anyway, uh, I don't. We'll, we'll get off. We'll get off of Facebook now. But like, th yes, they're they're that's an good advice of, for all of you listening. Get off of Facebook now. Yes, yes, it is good advice. Um, but but basically, the idea here is that these huge companies come in and they buy up something that was promising and that was tech that was truly interesting, and at best, they sort of hold it too tightly and they and they crush it right. And at worst, they just strip it for parts, like you said. They, they take the technology and maybe the people and they just sort of, they get absorbed into the larger organization and then the thing that you liked is just gone. So I realize that is the cycle of, and that is maybe even the dream of many entrepreneurs to build something and then get bought up for tons and tons of money and have your big payday and go live on an island. Uh, but uh, for the rest of us, it, uh, with the Festivus theme, um, it, uh, it leaves, you know, a, a sour taste in our mouths and it makes, particularly for like developer facing tools, it makes us not super excited about wanting to uh, invest time and energy in your platform in the future. And speaking of uh, huge corporations, not only do they buy things and then shut them down, but sometimes even worse, they themselves keep on going. <laughs> yes. Is that better or worse? I think that's I don't a know. lot worse. So huge mega corporations. What what is your what is your beef there? Well, I think of things like Google, which started in the '90s with its famous mission statement "Don't be evil," and then I think about ten or fifteen years ago, they realized they could compress that a little bit for wider distribution by getting rid of that middle word, or the first word. Yeah, shut it down to be evil. You know, things like intelligent people, reasonable people, can maybe disagree on the idea idea of how closely a big corporation should cooperate with the U.S. government, but I have a hard time coming up with a good argument why they should not cooperate with the American government and yet do cooperate with the Chinese government. It is, it is interesting how we're seeing a huge uh, coalescing of companies in sort of they're all being sucked into these mega corporations. Um, and then it seems like those corporations then are not even beholden to 
governments to their own shareholders. No. They just sort of do what they want, and and no one and everyone says, well, if we if we were to discipline them, they would, you know, if we were to to limit them, then they're too big, right? They they wouldn't they that if they failed, that would then be a, a terrible terrible detriment to the rest of the world, and so we can't let that happen. We have to let them continue to. To, to move on so the too big to fail thing right and it's just like that's hogwash like a company going under is not going to ruin the entire world yeah there's the this implicit mental model i think people have that bankruptcy or or forced divestment of some holdings means that the the people involved get like vaporized themselves and teleported <laughs> to the far side of the moon <laughs> And of course, that's not actually what happens. You know, they're free to go and form some other organization and do some other things, just not continue in the in the shape and with the power that they have right now. And I think, kind of related to that, the the next thing on my on the list is that I brought up was surveillance capitalism. I think this kind of dovetails really nicely with, with some of these things: uh, Google, Facebook, all these companies that we've talked about up till now, all seem to be Amazon, all seem to be engaging in this because they're so big. It seems engaging in these uh, these data collection policies that I guess they feel like, well, no one's going to stop us, so why not? Um, the, the most recent example I can think of is that Ring, the company that, again, was a separate company, <laughs> uh-huh. its own thing, uh-huh. looked promising, got bought by Amazon a couple of years ago. Sure. Um, they make uh, video door, uh, camera doorbells, and they also, I, I didn't know this, but I guess they also make um, like in-house security cameras that you can you can set up in your house um, and they all offer things like cloud-based monitoring of these things cloud-based recording so that you don't have to have you know a vcr in your house that does that you swap the tapes out on to record your surveillance footage it'll just all be uploaded to the cloud uh, they have been extremely i would say generous with their data sharing with local police departments and stuff um, and it's come out that uh, not only can can local police departments find exactly where you live based on your ring doorbell and maybe even collect footage from that doorbell without your consent or knowledge because Amazon's just giving it to them. Uh, Most recently, there's also been a report of some hackers hacking into their apparently fairly shoddy system of (laughs) security Mm -hmm. and uh, getting um, access to people's in-home cameras and even activating the microphone and the speaker so they can speak with these people. There was a video of uh, some children playing in a their bedroom, presumably, and somebody breaking into that camera and then talking to them through the camera. Um, so uh, it's funny that like they want all of our data, right, about everything, and then they're going to very poorly secure. Yes, on, that's part of the on deal. their side, uh, so that we can have leaks of millions and millions and millions of accounts worth of people's very sensitive information. So. Uh, that's, I guess, my my final grievance is is a kind of a conglomeration of all these things. Like these good things get scooped up, then the big huge company is not in any way held accountable, and then they engage in all kinds of terrible, irresponsible things. You know, one I just saw on the same vein is uh, the the parking systems downtown. Have you noticed the new way that they're doing things in downtown Orlando? I have not. It used to be that you'd go to the meter and you'd you'd pay way too much money because no one should have to pay to park. I think that's terrible. But you'd pay your $2 an hour and you'd get a little slip of paper that would come out and say valid until X number of hours from now. And then you'd walk back to your car, put it in the windshield and go back your way. What they have now 
is to save you that step and to save paper, all you have to do is enter your uh, license plate number okay. into the system, uh -huh. and then you pay, and then the government has a bank account that they can associate with you, your your car, and right. so they tie so that together. So you're saying you still have to get out of your car, walk to a machine, and get it, and like you don't you don't have to get you you still go over and pay, but you say my license plate number is ABC one two three, and here's the. And they check to make sure you don't have any outstanding parking stuff already that you have to pay for. And then you pay. And then that is basically handing the government just a couple more data points to. Right, right. Which is, in theory, information they already had. But now they get to they get to connect it together, right? That's yes. the magic is that That's if you can magic. connect it together, uh, then all kinds of additional things are possible. Yeah, it's it's really quite scary. I, a little while ago, I heard this story about a... Um, uh, a man somewhere in the United States who was very mad at Target for acute for basically sending his teenage daughter. Oh yes, the pregnancy uh, stuff, maternity type things. And what it what it turned out was that through the relatively innocuous combination of purchases that she was making at Target, uh, they were able to surmise through that metadata that she was probably pregnant, and then started sending her advertising uh, as such. And he was of course very mad because why would you send? Advertising for pregnancy-related things to a teenage girl. Well, it turns out she's actually pregnant, um, and he didn't know that. And so that just shows you, like, the power of she's just walking into Target, and she's just buying random stuff. But then they're collecting it all together, and they're able to make these assumptions and correlations and connections that would not be otherwise possible. Um, and then, you know, I mean, I think in that one instance, they were being relatively innocuous with it. They were sending her ads. But it's still it's creepy. It's creepy on its own, right? But like, it's not quite as creepy. But but still, it just shows you the power of metadata. So if anyone ever tells you, "Oh, it's just metadata; it's not that important," I would argue the metadata is almost more important because it's all the data about the data, right? And if you have enough of it, you can make all kinds of assumptions about uh, what the data must be. You don't even have to have the data itself in question, right? You can you can surmise everything you want from all the pieces around the data. And then even if stuff doesn't require surmisement surmisal sure i'm not sure it's probably one of those or neither probably probably neither it, even if it let's be fair even if it don't need surmising i i get creeped out when information just seems to fall into hands that you didn't place that information into like recently yes. i've i've been interested in maybe buying a house and so what does one do one goes to various real estate search engines and maybe uh, bankrate.com not affiliated with the program but you know give us a call and check what we're the, hoping for sponsorships yes and check uh what the prevailing rates are and then today who should i get an email from but my own bank uh letting me know about their mortgage terms and conditions which i had not talked to them so how do they know and how did they get this number and in theory that could just be coincidence but i doubt it yes. right i mean the, the the chances of that being pure coincidence are with, with what we know about cookies and and how data is tracked across the internet i feel like that's relatively low they're probably buying data from some data broker from somebody and they have somehow managed to combine the fact that you want to buy a house with your personal information they realize that you actually are an account holder and go haha let's Send him, uh, you know, our current rates. Right. And it's not like they're releasing the hounds on me to come and drag me to the mortgage office or anything. I, I feel sometimes that this is kind of a first world problem sort of a thing that we talk about with this stuff. But it's it's so creepy and it also feels like it's 
the gateway to something a lot more sinister sometimes. Yes, yes, right? Because if they're doing this with this data and it's relatively innocuous, what are other people doing with other kinds of data yes. that could be more, more, like you said, more sinister? And that's the thing, that's the slippery slope that I think we all need to be more, more worried about and that I think as a society we are unfortunately not. All right, well, let's move on to some more positive things. I think we've aired enough grievances. Um, so the other, uh, the other kind of thing that happens in... Uh, Festivus and the Festivus celebration is the feats of strength. And so we thought that we could uh, kind of connect that to what we do here on the podcast by talking a little bit about a, about our technical and educational related accomplishments for the year and maybe some uh, prognostications about what we'd like to do in the upcoming year. So why don't you go first, Brian? I think my big accomplishment for the past year has been my return to the React ecosystem, my joyous uh, return to the land of my people. That's not true. Uh, <laughs> but the, because your people are the Ruby people. So let's, my, let's... That's true. That's true. My people are the Ruby people. But uh, I've been adopted by the JavaScript community and, and taken in and made to feel at home. Uh, but for a long time, I was working in Angular, which I could probably add to my list of grievances, frankly. I, 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 a lot of people, I guess, like Angular. I don't mm -hmm. know many of them. <laughs> you were not among that group of people, however. I No, no, I'm not. What's funny is there seem to be, if you look at job listings for JavaScript, in at least in Orlando for the past few years, Angular jobs have predominated. But when you go to the meetups and you talk about what people are doing for fun, it's React or nothing. So that's just what people enjoy doing. And now I get to do it again for pay. Which is fantastic. Yes. And it's in a really, it's, thank you. It's in a really functional style. Uh, the whole back end of the company is Haskell, which is this very academic functional programming language. And so there are a ton of concepts from that that I'm needing to get up to speed with. And uh, it's the first React project at kind of in the enterprise scale that I've been a part of. So there are things going on there that are exciting. And uh, yeah, that's uh, that's my big feat of intellectual javascript strength is becoming part of that organization fantastic i think probably mine is something that we've talked about before on this show but was getting back into the educational world um, oh, and, so joining, and joining lambda school um, as an ios instructor it has been uh both fantastic and fun and and a return to form for me of of being able to to teach students and also quite a challenge because it turns out that teaching students in a remote capacity is very different from teaching them in person. Um, and it has been something that I've had to adapt to and uh, learn new strategies for to make sure that uh, I'm teaching them in a way that, you know, lets the, the learning process really happen effectively. Um, and so it's it's been great, but uh, that's probably been my, my big accomplishment for the year is something that I, I, pretty much, I very much yearned for when I was not doing it. Uh, and it's it's been fun to get back into that and, and to get back into the educational world, which is funny because I was a terrible student uh, in general. <laughs> I did not enjoy school. I particularly hated college. Uh, and so I'm as stunned as anyone, I suppose, that <laughs> I ended up being in in uh, a capacity where I'm I'm back in school, but I'm on the other side of the table, I guess. And for some reason, that makes a big difference. And, and I truly, really enjoy mentoring uh students and and people in general on tech 
So it's been uh, my feat of strength for the year. It is a great experience. I enjoyed my time uh, when I got to do that. And uh, endorsement of Lambda School. I'm working very closely with a Lambda grad from the front end program. And man, is this guy solid. Nice. I am really impressed. That's awesome to hear. That's exactly what I wanted to hear. That's great. Uh, so why don't we move on to some prognostications for the future, right? We have uh, some some feats oh, that we accomplished boy. this year. Uh, what are your uh, goals for 2020 vis-a-vis tech slash mentorship? Man, you know, we're coming up on the one year anniversary of our uh, of our New Year resolution episode. Yes. Which I don't want to revisit at all because that's going no. to be a list of, of broken promises and... and <laughs> unfulfilled dreams and many terrible well, things well, like that let, let's let's not call it a, a new year's resolution let's just call it a uh i don't know a possible view a view of a possible future there we go there we go uh, it's one of the functional programming concepts i'm trying to get used to is the idea of sort of an option or a maybe i think they also have uh-huh. these ideas in in swift right where there's uh-huh yep maybe you'll have a result or maybe you'll get nothing. So I yeah, think yes. that's maybe that's what we can do is our list of maybe's for 2020. Sounds these are, great. These are things that uh, could happen. Maybe, yeah. Uh, In a certain certain set of outcomes, perhaps. Well, one thing I would like to do is, the first thing really that I need to do is to get uh, completely solid on everything that's going on with my current code base. And that's something that anybody starting a new job takes a while to ramp up. And that's a known fact in the industry and it's known that new people are more terrified of that fact because they feel like they're the only ones and still to this day i feel like uh, am i getting this as fast as i should or as fast as the other people i don't know so until it's comforting to all of our junior listeners right that even brian with with his vast experience many years still finds it daunting right i'm daunted so i oh so shame on me Ah, Therefore, it's a little better. Uh, the The most pressing feat of strength I feel the need to do, to um, to perform is to figure out everything that goes on with really functional TypeScript. I said functional JavaScript before, but it's the the intersection of both uh, with a lot of new concepts and a lot a lot of new syntax to get used to. It's not undoable because I know that I've memorized this much stuff before. But I got to do it again. I would say probably for me, uh, continuing to grow the iOS program. If you are interested in learning iOS, lambdaschool.com for more information. Um, I think, you know, making that program as as successful as we possibly can be and and getting lots of great grads out that um, are passionate about mobile development and are ready to start an exciting career is something that I would love to continue to work on doing. Um, And then... Uh, kind of two maybe smaller goals would be to grow the meetup that I that I host um, both locally in person and also remotely. We uh, not only do we have do we meet in person uh, at a great company called SitePlan in downtown Orlando. They generously let us use their space for that. Um, not only do we do that, but also we live stream the meetup every month on Twitch, and I think that's a really kind of a cool way to let people who maybe don't have a meetup in their area to be able to still experience that. Um, and I'd like to learn more about how I can make that a more um, engaging experience for people who are doing it remotely. And then lastly, kind of as a, a 
just a goal for me personally. Um, I would love to learn more about Swift UI, which is a new way that we'll be able to build iOS applications. I'm going through and learning about it now, but I'd like to keep keep learning. And along with that, learn more about Combine, which is Apple's first party solution for reactive programming, something that I've not really spent much time with. Um, I know sort of generally what the reactive programming me methodology is all about, but I've never really written any serious code using it. So I'd love to learn more about uh, reactive programming in general, Combine specifically, and probably also um, things like RX Swift, which was a third-party open-source solution to this problem before Apple came along and built their first-party solution. So I'll probably want to learn both those things because I'm sure there's things to uh, to learn in you know from both perspectives. So that's kind of a, for me a personal goal is to uh, dig into the reactive programming space, which is something that certainly you've um, you have and you continue to be involved with with react uh so i'm excited to to learn more about that uh all right so that's i think pretty much all we have unless you have any other uh any other maybes you'd like to share i think we're uh wrapping up both this episode and this year can you yes. believe that it is almost the end of 2019 i have a hard time i have a hard time so much left undone in 2019 ben well you have what is today uh, the 23rd, right? Because it's when we're releasing the podcast. Right. So you have like have, roughly a I week to get days. done whatever, yes. whatever you want to get done. So happy Festivus, everyone. Uh, and Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Happy Hanukkah. Whatever it is that you choose to celebrate, if anything or nothing, during this period, we hope that you have a great uh, great holiday and, a, and maybe a great break. Hopefully you've, you've got a little bit of break time. Lambda School is going to be off for two weeks, which I'm very excited about. The students get a chance to take a breather. It's always useful when you're learning something new is to take a take a break. So if you haven't done that yet this year in your learning process, I encourage you to take a break during this the end of uh, December and kind of come in refreshed and ready to go for next year. Yes, Merry Christmas and take the rest of the week off, everybody. <laughs> See you next time.